Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of the body of Christ. John type individuals are individuals, yet they see themselves as one in many. That's important. I'm going to do what God's called me to do, but I may be a part that never gets seen. I may be a pituitary gland. Nobody's ever come up to me and say, hey, I actually have some good looking pituitary glands. They don't see them. John type individuals in the background, not the focus, yet they use greatly. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Scripture describes the body of Christ as similar to our physical bodies in that the various parts or members are all different because they all serve a different purpose. And that's what we'll see as Pastor Xavier presents the next message in our series of Simple Truths character studies highlighting the apostles today featuring John, the brother of James. Shoddy investigation and police work can mean the difference between seeing the obvious or not seeing the so obvious. Take two set of footprints on the ground when a person comes on the crime scene. At first, they look like they belong to the same person, but a closer look will reveal that they belong to two different individuals. And so with John, having studied James in our last study, it is easy to assume that John is just like James. But a closer look will reveal that he is a unique print in his own way within the scriptures. In our character study, as we started the apostles here and that Jesus chose, we've looked at three of the first group of four, the inner circle. Peter, Andrew, James. And we're using Matthew's order here in Matthew 10, 4. So we come to the fourth, John. And we once again want to look at him through three aspects of his life. The man, John, the call of John, and the apostle, John. The name of John means whom Jehovah loves. At least it has been translated like that, but the majority of them translated Jehovah has been gracious. It has the same kind of focus, and and sometimes when you study uh, names or words in Hebrew or Greek, you may look up some stuff, and one may say gracious, the other one may say uh, whom Jehovah loves, and, and you say, how can that be? But If you know another language apart from English, you may have a word that may mean one thing in one respect, and when it's used in another context, it means something altogether different. Or the same word could mean two different things. Now, John is one of many who are named John in the Bible. It's probably the most common name. I believe it's the most common name in the United States, John. <laughs> there are many Johns. As a matter of fact, when we don't know the name of, of someone who has been murdered, we name him a John Doe. Uh, that's the name they give him. John is distinct from all others. There is John, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, which we have already studied, and he, of course, was the forerunner of Christ. 
he was the voice crying in the wilderness, according to Isaiah. He was commonly known as John the Baptist. There is John, the son of Mary, uh, the sister of Barnabas, surnamed Mark, known as John Mark. He was a witness to the church gathering in his own home in Jerusalem, as the book of Acts tells us. He accompanied Barnabas, as you know, and Saul, what the name he was called before Paul, in the first missionary journey, but he turned back halfway when he got to Perga in Pamphylia. He later became the subject of a division between Paul and Barnabas with a strong contention because Barnabas, being his uncle, wanted to take him and take a chance on him, while Paul did not. In Acts 12 and 13, 15, 37, we also get a little note on there. And so that later on, as you follow through the scriptures, was taken care of because John Mark turned out to be someone of value. He just needed um, the right opportunities. By the way, he's the author of the gospel of Mark, which really he wrote from Peter's accounts. There was also John the kinsman of Anna the high priest, which you find in Acts chapter 4, verse 6. And he was one of many who confronted Peter and John and arrested them for healing the lame man at the gate at the temple called Beautiful. And he, along with the others, wanted to know by what power and by what authority or name they had done the miraculous work. Interesting that John was silent in that account. Peter was the spokesman. You'll find that with John in the book of Acts. John is there, but John is in the background. He's not the spokesman. And of course, there is John, the son of Zebedee, that we have here. He's also called John of Zebedee through many different parts of the gospel. Mark 119 is one of them. And he's the fourth and last of the first group of apostles. He is one of the twelve chosen by Jesus after an entire night in prayer. He is one of the three in the inner circle of Jesus, Peter, James, and John. They were privileged to see Jairus' daughter raised from the dead, Jesus transfigured, speak with Moses and Elisha in his glory, and seeing Jesus in his agony at the garden. He was also one who asked Jesus about his return. In Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke, Mark 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. Uh, what shall be the signs of that coming, the end of the age? When shall these things be? He is listed last in Matthew, third in Mark, last in Luke, and I'm speaking last of the four, but second after Pentecost in the book of Acts. And you know who's first always? Peter. Of these first four. So it seems that John kind of moved up after Pentecost. Now, the home of John is much like James. Um, John was one of the two sons of Zebedee. The other, as we said, is James in Matthew 4.21, Mark 19, and uh, Luke 5.10 tells us that. John is often called the brother of of James, And we made mention of that last time, reinforcing the fact that he was the older, most likely indicating that he was 
the older of the two, and throughout Matthew and the others also. Older brothers are kind of like forerunners. They're looked up to. If they're good examples, it's good. If they're not, then it's not that good. But there's always a, a regular brotherly relationship, sometimes going through a period of, of a hate-love relationship, competition, whatever. But at, at heart, there's that love there that's always present, and that's important. John, however, seems to be or have had the prominent place in the church at Jerusalem. James appears with him in the book of Acts. And that's probably why he's called James is the brother of John, because John is the more prominent in the book of Acts. So it kind of reverses when you get to the book of Acts. As you know, James was killed by Herod, and it seems that James was a very zealous, outspoken, a very uh, envious person, and, and, and James was the rougher of the two, if you will. Now, John's mother is believed to have been Salome, the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And as we noted in our study of James, that would make them cousins with Jesus, even as John the Baptist was. You find that in Matthew fifteen forty and John nineteen twenty five. And I mentioned last time about how God loves to work within families. Isn't it amazing how God saves one in a family and, and sometimes the family just gets saved and then the extended family and just a whole bunch of them, God uses them? God does that. James is called a pillar of the church in Galatians 2.9 by Paul. As you know, John was a fisherman along with his brother James in the family business of their father Zebedee in Bethsaida of Galilee, Matthew 4.21 and John 1.44. The family business was prosperous, as you know. They had servants. They had boats. Therefore, John came from a good economic level. Now, this is not something that we always pick up in the Gospels when we read them. Mark 1.20 tells you about the servants, the boats, and some of the other Gospels. Now, again, John's mother, Salome, the wife of Zebedee, along with other women, you remember, ministered unto the Lord Jesus with their substance as well as the disciples. Matthew 27.55, 56 and Mark 15, 20 through 24. So again, the mother of John and James had some money because she was one of the women who provided the finances for the Lord and the disciples. John's family was partners with Peter and Andrew. The business was not only prosperous, but had expanded. It had grown to the two families. They had servants. They had boats. Luke 5.10 tells you that. Also remember that as you read the gospel, especially John's, and that's where we get the information, John's family was known to the high priests. And for that reason, John was able to get into the courtyard when Jesus was arrested and taken there to Annas. And if you recall, Peter had a hard time getting in, and John got Peter in. So, for John and his family to be known by the high priest, they had to be at some pretty good economic level. So often we picture the apostles as being very poor. 
for the most part. But by our study, as we're seeing, I don't think that's the case per se. Now, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were in a prosperous business with their families. This was their livelihood. Matthew was a tax collector. Therefore, he also had considerable wealth because the tax collectors extracted more than was due. And they only had to give what they bidded for the job to Rome. And of course, knowing what they bidded the job for, if it was $10,000, that's all they were responsible to give to Rome. So they would always collect more than that. And if they collected 20, they could keep 10 and put it in their pocket. And that's why the Jews hated the tax collectors. Now, Matthew was a Jew taking taxes from his own people. He was a traitor, according to the Jews. So up to this point, we see that five of the twelve were not poor as we perhaps have often thought them to be. If we exclude Judas Iscariot, even though he probably was wealthy because he used to pilfer from the treasury box. He used to steal. <laughs> it means that 45.5% of the disciples up to this point had a fairly good economic level prior to being called by Jesus. Now, caution. This does not mean that the apostles were wealthy and wore designer jeans like the positive confession and faith Movement teachers have taught the doctrine of your divine right as a Christian. So we can go to the other extreme. We have to examine the scriptures carefully, not denying what's there, but not magnifying it to a distortion. We have to be real careful. Now we can better understand when Peter said, Listen, Lord, we have left all. Matthew 19, 27, Mark 10, 28, and Luke 18, 28. Lord, we've left all. Listen to the response of Jesus. Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wives or children or lands for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Matthew 19, 28 and 29. Now we better understand what he meant when he said, we've left all. They weren't in poverty. They did leave behind what they had. And Jesus says, no one leaves anything without me being aware of what they leave. And of course, as we said... John had a brother. John's brother was James, the son of Zebedee also. John and James, again, like Peter and Andrew, being brothers were different and yet very similar at the same time. Both had the same parents upbringing and most likely, especially in that day, the same friends. Both had the same trade. They were fishermen. Both were disciples of the Lord. Both were chosen apostles of the Lord. And both were different in order to be unique in the purposes and the plans of God. 
And that's important to see. There could be no greater example of two brothers being raised in the same home at the same time being so different than Cain and Abel. But I bet you that if we would have seen Cain and Abel, we would have seen many similarities. Their manner of speech, their certain features, certain traits, or whatever. But at the same time, you see the vast difference between the two and the choices they made and the way their lives turned out. John-type individuals have a stability about them. They're stable. Often, if we're not stable in ourselves, then we want to be what the other person is. And we find that sometimes, you know, especially today in the bad examples that are going on, the younger brother wants to follow the older brother's steps, and he's in gang, so he follows the same thing, and, you know, or whatever the case may be. John-type individuals are individuals, yet they see themselves as one in many. That's important. I am an individual in what God is doing in my life and what he's calling me to do, but I see myself very soberly as only one of the many in the body of Christ. I'm going to do what God's called me to do, but I may be the least important part. I may be a part that never gets seen. I may be a pituitary gland. Uh, no, nobody's ever come up to me and say, hey, actually, you have some good-looking pituitary glands. They don't see them. It may be something else. John type individuals in the background, not the focus. Yet they're used greatly. They're used greatly. This was the man John. Now, let's look at the call of John, and it's much like James's brother, so we won't spend much time on on that. But first of all, the call of John came at the Sea of Galilee, as you know. Matthew four eighteen through twenty two gives us that. In verse eighteen. And Jesus had just called two brothers. He was walking by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Simeon called Peter and Andrew's brother as they were casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen, it says, verse 18. Then verse 19 says um, that he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him in verse 20. Now, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, sons of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boats with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Verse 21 and 22. There was no hesitation. It was God's quickening, God's timing. Secondly, the call of John, as we see, came in the Sea of Galilee. Matthew tells us that John and his brother James were in the boat, but their father Zebedee was mending their nets, and Jesus, calling them, declared two things. They immediately left, it says, the boats and their father. So they left their profession and they left their loved ones. And then they followed him, Jesus. Now, the Bible does not teach that we abandon our loved ones. That's not what it's talking about. But it is talking about leaving those ties if God calls you to do something Often we are held up by loved ones because they're tied emotionally to us. And so in their fear for us, or whatever it may be, we yield to that and we become disobedient to the Lord, what He has for us. They left their pursuit of their lives and followed 
in pursuit of Jesus to do his will. I remember being saved. And I remember very clearly a very clear decision being made in terms of the direction that my life was going to take. I see it clearly. There's a day. There was a decision I made. And it absolutely changed my entire life from the way I used to live and the direction that I was going. That was 26 years ago. You should be able to look back at a day, at a time, and you should be able to see a marked difference and a sharp contrast to the way you are living now, to how you used to live. If you are doing the same things now that you were then, you're deceiving yourself. Something's wrong. I am always amazed how often people call us and ask us to marry them, and they've been coming here for a year or so or whatever, and they're living with each other. Now, I don't think I preach the watered-down gospel. As a matter of fact, if anything, I get accused of being too straightforward. <laughs> I never read the Bible in my life. But the minute I was born again, when I answered that altar call, I knew I couldn't be jumping in bed anymore. I knew it. I knew I couldn't go out and get all drunk. I knew I couldn't go get loaded. I knew I couldn't go out and get in hassles. I knew it. So there has to be a, a sharp line of demarcation in your life. You have to see that. You remember that Luke tells us that when John and James saw the great catch of fish, their boat sinking due to the amount of fish, Peter was also confessing the sinfulness before Jesus Christ, you know, uh, depart from me from a sinful man. The Lord turned to Peter and says, Do not be afraid, for from now on you will catch men. They brought their boats into the land, and they forsook all and followed him, Luke 5, 6 through 11 says. John himself supplements the call of Jesus on his life in his own gospel as he records himself as the mysterious and nameless disciple along with Andrew, the two disciples of John the Baptist who were pointed to the Lamb of God in John 1, 35 through 40. Because he never names himself. Only one time does his name appear. And it's not in a very good light. <laughs> John, by his own admission of being pointed to Jesus earlier, tells us that the Galilee call was a second call, like it had been for Andrew and Peter. Jesus loves to work in and with the family as his instrument to reach communities. That's his goal. When I look at the church, I don't look at individuals. I look at families. I pray that God save families. Doesn't mean I don't pray for individuals. I pray for families. That God would save them. The call of John is like that of Andrew, Peter, and James. A call to internship, apprenticeship. Alexander the Great, being asked how he had conquered the world, replied without hesitation, by not delaying. Too often people delay, they procrastinate. You remember Pharaoh? Moses walked and says, when should I call the Lord to take these stinking frogs away? He says, tomorrow. 
When God calls, people need to answer. Don't put it off. Pastor Xavier Reese, illustrating the vast makeup of the body of Christ, with brothers James and John answering the call of God. And there's much more of this message to come next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply John Part 1. It's available on CD for just $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is John Part 1, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address, once again, is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 